Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Angle on Producers. As always, I am your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, thank you so much for tuning in and doing this live thing with me. If you don't already, please take a moment to subscribe to the show, follow me on Instagram. The show's at Angle on Producers, and I'm at Carolina Gropa. Drop me a line, we'd love to hear from you. I'm so excited to share this week's episode. It's so special because since I've started the podcast, I dreamed of doing a live from Sundance special edition of the show. And thanks to Mylene Calienes, she's the founder of the Latino Filmmakers Network, that dream became a reality this year. I was able to record this episode live from her house at Sundance, and it was a really special conversation with an incredible producer from Chile. Rocio Jadwe runs the Latin American Film Division at Fabula. She's best known for the film A Fantastic Woman, directed by Sebastián Lelio, which won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 2018. Her career at Fabula dates back to 2012 when she executive produced Pablo Lorraine's No, the first Chilean film nominated for the Academy Awards. She has now worked on over 20 films which have premiered at festivals like Cannes, Berlin, Venice, and Sundance, such as Neruda and The Club. Rocchio has two incredible films premiering at this year's festival, Eternal Memory, winner of the World Cinema Grand Jury Prize for Documentary, directed by Maite Alberdi, and director Christopher Murray's dark and decolonial coming-of-age tale, Sorcery. I loved my time with Rocchio. Her story is so fascinating. It's so different than any other conversation I've had on the show. So I really hope you enjoy it. Gems from this episode include Rocchio's luck in landing her first big project, Pablo Lorraine's No, which is nominated for an Academy Award, coming up in Chile's limited film industry, and reclaiming what it means to be a producer. So without further ado, here's Rocchio. I am... So excited to be here live from the Latino Filmmakers Network. We're live? No, live is in like this moment. Uh, We're okay, not live okay. yet. <laughs> Just as like live is in person because I've been doing most of these uh, over Zoom for gosh, like two years. And there's benefits to that for sure, especially from an audio perspective. But like being in person, looking into someone's eyes, it's so much more powerful. And Maylene, who runs the Latino Filmmakers Network, was so generous to give me the space and time at her house here at Sundance to do this conversation. And so that's why I want to make sure I point out that we're live from her house here at Sundance with you. And I'm so excited. So thank you for taking the time. I know you're doing a ton of press. You have two movies here to be on the show. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, my goodness. It's my pleasure. So I like to start from the beginning. Tell us your name and the inception, like how you discovered producing, if that's where it began for you, or how you found whatever the seed was that led you to eventually become a producer. Okay, my name is Rocio Jadwe. I'm from Santiago de Chile, South America. Yes. In the, in the bottom, bottom of the world. Yes. Um, and... Well, when, when I was growing up, um, films uh, in Chile, there were not that many. Um, the directors um, were, were few. Um, and I think that was because we had a political... Um, we had political issues, and with the dictatorship, everything ended. And we had like a... Yatus, if you can say it that way. Mm. So 
I grew up uh, looking and watching films that were not from Chile, um, mainly from Mexico. I remember when I saw Amores Perros. Mm, wow. Beautiful film. What, what's the name in, in English? I don't even know. I just know it as Amores Perros. Yeah. Well, that, when, when I saw that, I, it really blew my mind. Um, and I couldn't, couldn't believe it. And I was, what can I do to do that? Um, yeah. Not like an actress. Not like a, it was, I think, like how you how you get the possibility to make something so beautiful. Yeah. The story, the characters, um, and everything. Um, and always I, I've been more in the artistic side. I'm, I'm awful with science or <laughs> math or numbers. Uh, not budgets, but numbers. <laughs> um, so when I graduated from high school, I decided to study... Um, cinema film mm -hmm. and careers didn't even exist yeah. so it was tough um, and I had the opportunity uh, that that year the the career opened in one of the most um, prestigious universities in Santiago mm. so I got in um, and there I met Tons of people that were trying to do the same as me, some as directors, scriptwriters. But did you enter as a producer? Did they already have no, a track for that, or was it just a filmmaking program? It was a filmmaking progress, mm -hmm. program that you start with the ones that study or also to be a journalist. Ah, okay. We studied mm -hmm. together for two years, and then they went to study cinema or films or journalism. Mm. And in the university, I met with a lot of filmmakers that I work today with them. So it's amazing. Yeah, well. Maite Alverdi. I don't know if you know her. But I know, but I wanted, she was supposed to come on the podcast, but I she am? was not available. <laughs> but I will be talking to her. Okay. Yeah. So Maite, uh, she was there also. Christopher yeah. Murray, she was, mm -hmm. she was there. Um, and I have the opportunity now, today, to produce their films which is and amazing. we are premiering both of them here at Sundance so it's amazing is it your first time premiering films at Sundance no no how many films have you had then at Sundance um not me myself but the company I work that's yeah. Fabula. Fabula I've been there for 10 years now uh, they have premiered Young and Wild from mm -hmm. Marielle Rivas mm -hmm. um I think that was the is the only premiere and now these two uh, but we have played a lot of films. Uh, the last one was Emma from Pablo Larraín. Mm -hmm. Yep. He was the U.S. Uh, opening premiere. Yeah. yeah. But just to back up for a minute. So you're in college. You meet all these incredible filmmakers. You get out of college. What is next? I got out of college. And when, when I was out, I really didn't know what to do. And I was... I'm not going to get a job anywhere. Um, we don't have an industry in Chile. Mm -hmm. Today, I can say we don't. Uh, it's only an activity. Mm. Uh, so it's really, really tough. Yeah. Um, so I went to a trip to Southeast Asia with three months with, with, a, with three friends of mine that I love very much. And when I was back, I had the opportunity to have an interview with Fabula. I think it was 
I'm a, a lucky person. <laughs> um, at that time, Fabula was the only company doing films. Mm. And there was another company called Wood Producciones. Um, and that, that was it. They were the two. And when I say doing films, it was like one film per year. Mm. And, and that's it. Wow. So when I started working at Fabula, um, I was bl blown away. It was amazing. We were, they were um, shooting a second season for HBO, an action TV series called Profugos. Mm. And I couldn't believe it. I, every day I woke up and I was, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah. Um, and... Really, to be a producer, it's not about what you learn in university. It's what you learn every day. I'm learning every day, actually. Yeah. I've been in, in, this, uh, in, in this area for 10 years, and it's true, it's true what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, that's why what I've learned after doing 80 of these episodes is that there is a certain DNA to the kinds of people that gravitate towards this work, and I think it's like the root of it is this endless curiosity for process, for learning new things. No, no two days are really alike and not, that's not for everybody. Some people need to know exactly where they're going yeah. and exactly where they're having lunch or whatever. But the people that seem to really thrive in that like constant state of learning, because you have to for all reasons, but because the industry is constantly evolving in all the ways and the process is always evolving. Um, I think one that's the mark of a great producer, frankly, someone who's humble enough to be like, I'm constantly learning. I don't have all the answers, but you figure it out. And that's the, and sometimes you fuck it up, but, and sometimes you fuck it up, but then you figure it out, right? Yeah. All of the things you learn, either you learned because you fucked up yeah. <laughs> and then you, and you had to like find a way, right? Yeah. Or someone had fucked up and told you, hey, don't do this. Yeah. But it's always through mistakes. And yeah. like we're constantly failing Like to be in this business, to be producers. It's constant rejection. It's constant failure. It takes a certain kind of person to still say, yeah, 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 but this, this is just a part of the process and we're going to get there, right? And what I find so fascinating is sometimes we get these opportunities to be at these very fancy festivals like Sundance and it's this marquee thing and all we see is the result. We don't know the process, right? And I think that for me, that's what I'm obsessed with, like the behind the scenes, all the steps to get to the, you have a movie premiering at Sundance. And I think it's important to note that because that truly is the work. So for people listening who want to have that, it's like, are you willing to live in constant chaos? <laughs> curiosity and despair yeah. you know of like the the projects yeah so yeah um but i i was i was really lucky because um juan de dios larraín who is the founder of fabula together with pablo larraín um they were really generous to me um and just hearing them talk it was like going back to university and understanding everything mm -hmm. and uh, really knowing how it works, you know? Um, yeah. So they took me in and they show me everything. And you started as like a assistant or how was the... No, in Chile it doesn't work like that. Yeah, like what is it US. like? What is it like there? In Chile, what, what my first task actually was to go to set to this uh, TV show that we were shooting and take uh, uh, photographs. Wow. 
That was my first tax, task. Then the other day I was applying to national funds. Then other day I was um, preparing uh, the campaign uh, for NO. Uh, yes, which Paolo I want to talk about, yeah. Because we were nominated uh, for the Academy. Mm -hmm. So it was every day something different uh, with, with the scale of of responsibility at first it was really low but then it become more and more important but it's not a title thing you kind of no. start and you're a part of the team yes. and you just do whatever is needed yes. it's not like here it's very hierarchical it's almost like yes. military right like you, you only get access to unlock a level once you've done whatever seems like it's not like that there no that's why i'm saying that they were yeah. so generous to yeah Give well, me the the opportunity to be in all that meetings, to be hearing their conversations, uh, to be part of what a, a campaign of that magnitude uh, was about. You know, nobody knew it was the first Chilean nomination. Yeah, and you were an executive producer on that. Yeah. So what is what is that like? You started this new company. You're fairly new, air quotes, because what is new. But what an incredible thing to step into. Yeah, <laughs> out the I, gate. I was amazed. I couldn't believe it. It's crazy. It. Yes. What was that like? I was, uh, I don't know. It, <laughs> that's why I'm saying that I was so lucky. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of work. Of course. <laughs> um, but I learned everything yeah. that I could, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when we had the other campaign that it was for a fantastic woman. It wasn't so difficult because you knew how, how, mm -hmm. how it worked. Um, and you try to, to be better in this second campaign. Um, but yes. Amazing. And so, but now you are head of film. Yeah. So there are titles. Well, the thing is that the company started tiny tiny mm. and we start growing and growing and growing and we opened a division for tv uh, we opened a division for production services podcast yeah um then when when we did gloria bell that mm. it was a remake from the original gloria we shot in the u.s mm. and we opened an office in the u.s so we started growing um, and then because of that we needed to to make an order or to understand what was the the responsibility of everyone there. Yeah, and that's how um, I I became the head of. Yeah, Spanish and so language. how is your day to day, roughly? Because I'm sure it's different every day. But how has it evolved in the ten years since you've been there, with what you're getting to do now? Well, now. Um, what I'm getting to do is to create new content. Uh, I have a development team that works with me. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to find stories uh, and trying we package that, those stories together with, with my team um, and we go and try to sell them. Yeah. And co-produce them or get the financing. So my day-to-day -day is that. Like yeah, very creative, and at the same time, very uh, business. Yeah, yeah, and trying to find out which is the best strategy for each one of the projects because they are so different between yeah. them. And you guys are still just focused on Spanish language, yes? Only me. Only you. Okay. O only me. Um, we have a TV site. Okay. In Chile and in Mexico, 
um, that handles all the the TV, mm -hmm. and the US is TV and films in English language. In English, okay. And so, you know, with with Chilean filmmaker, like since you started in the past decade, how do you feel? from your perspective and I guess from Chile looking out the evolution of Latino films across the board, how have you seen that change or evolve in any way? Um, well, I think that we have a, a, like a boom um, that's been going on since Pablo premiered No in mm -hmm. Cannes. That's like the Chilean filmmakers are like, in how do you say this demand yes and they are yeah. like cool like yeah the cool kids yes <laughs> in in wh where is chile well back there I, and they don't yeah we were we were never on the radar you know right and then uh, well sebastian lelio also started together with pablo larraín mm -hmm. and then uh, another voices uh, joined like mariali rivas yeah um, Fernando Gussoni, Christopher Murray, Maite Alverdi, Dominga Sotomayor, and it, they they never stopped. They were like Just kept going. Yes. Yeah, uh, Manuela Martelli now that she premiered at Cannes last yeah, year, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's amazing. Um, Francisca Alegría, Francisca, I've met her. Yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't know, and sometimes I have conversations with people that are not from Latin America. And they they tell me where do you find these people? <laughs> how do how their stories are incredible? Mm. And I think that uh, it's something about geography that we are at the bottom of the world, and maybe we have another perspective on looking at stories. Or what do you think that perspective is? Can you even define it? No, but I can sure say that it's really different from. Uh, what Americans are used to. Yeah. Well, especially because I think m most Americans' experience of Latino stories are generally from Mexico, too, or Spain, which is not even, tech you know. So I think it's a very different perspective that is being brought into the market. And it's like, of course, it's like, it's, we're massive. Like, the Latinos are massive. We're not all, we may speak similar languages, but the cultural perspective is very different i mean being brazilian i feel that way too and i i feel like from my perspective in the past five years there's been a really interesting boom of interesting filmmakers coming out of brazil um getting to cross over a little bit more not just being so insular to the community which i find really exciting and, and hope that we are on a beginning of some kind of chapter that hopefully lasts a long time um it isn't just a, a moment you know like a boom for no, just I don't now. Think so. Yeah, I, I think because I think, of the globalization, right, of yeah. filmmaking, I think people are more receptive more than ever to watch things with subtitles and really be immersed in other world views. So I, I think it's for all the things that Netflix has done, you know, there's some negatives certainly, but I would say that that is one of the big, big wins is like how you can kind of find anything now anywhere. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, the the Chilean market versus the U.S. market, I, it's something that I don't know much about. I'm curious, what differences do you think there are? There are completely different things. How are they different? Um, well, for to start, we don't have a market. Mm. Um, 
box office right now is not working. Uh, I yeah. think in, not in Chile, not in... Well, most places, yeah. The type of films that we do, you know? Mm -hmm. um, we don't have representations. We don't have managers. We don't have agents. Yeah. Um, but in these past years, uh, with, with streamers coming in, like Amazon, Netflix, uh, I think... What I love about that is that they are, they help that we build um, or try to be more of an industry, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So we, if they are coming in, we need to be uh, a real company to have a real back office, uh, uh, to have proper lawyers that are revising agreements, yeah. uh, closing deals. We never had that. Um, five years ago, I was the one uh, doing that, doing all that job, and closing deals and the negotiations. And when I had to talk to an actor, I called them directly. Um, <laughs> now they have, uh, I won't say these agents, and they have a manager, a representation, a representation of some sort, right? Do you think that's better? Yes. 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 Why? Um, because if it's better for us, I'm talking as a producer, mm -hmm. not to get involved uh, in that kind of negotiations. It's you too know? intimate. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, li you leave the, the ones that know to handle numbers, to handle um, technical details or I don't know, but you need to stay focused on what producers really need to do that's to make uh, with the money you have the best uh, story you can tell yeah and for that you need help uh, yeah well yeah. film is is that it's a community you need mm -hmm. a lot of people to make it work yeah how would you define producing what a producer does if you had to define it i would say that you have to be very creative and at the same time make this creativity work with numbers. Yeah. Yeah. What is one misconception you think people have about producers or about potentially you specifically in your producerial role? That we don't get involved uh, in the story itself. That we are only um, caring about uh, money and and insurance and, <laughs> and making the film to really deliver the film. Yeah. Um, we as producers are talking all the time with directors, with scriptwriters in the process. Yeah. We are always there giving feedback um, and try to, and trying to, to make a be better story. Um, that is how it works at Fabula. I don't know how it, how it works in, in another company, but yeah. we are really creative producers. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the market has changed so much. And I speak for the U.S. market, and there's so many companies now, and there's so many independent people doing it. There's so many people getting producer credits where they haven't done anything. Nothing. <laughs> it's like mm. the worst. I just came from the Sundance Producers Brunch. I don't know if you were there, but that was literally 
the, the conversation is reclaiming back this title and why we have such a hard time defining it is because people give it away like it means nothing. It's so weird. And it's like that's our only currency really because that's what people look to who actually made this and if you have 30 people it just dilutes the title yeah. it's a disservice to our industry as a whole which you know is a whole nother podcast and probably a conversation for me and my therapist because it's upsetting you know for those of us who have worked so hard climb the ranks to earn those credits in the right way to just see someone who is not on equal footing get it is it is a bit uh, soul-sucking. I would never ask for a credit like, well, I want in this film, I'm contributing so much that I want to be a casting director also. Can you imagine? And here's what I always like to say, because oftentimes, sometimes, there are directors who want a producer credit for no reason. There are directors that absolutely are very involved and yeah. very producerial. But in the past, when I've had directors who are not that ask for that, I'll go, great. And then we'll share your director credit too, right? Because yeah, that's what it is. So then I'll share mine and you share yours and everybody wins. And they're like, well, well, well. It's like, right. So then let's just know our lanes and yeah. respect each other's contributions to yes. the project, you know? And then they go, oh, I see. But it's just this, I don't, I, it's really bizarre how we got here. But in the U.S., so many companies now do things so uniquely different that there isn't anything that's really standardized anymore unless you're talking about you know, the big studios where they're still very regimented. This person does this, this person does that. But like, like, for example, where I am at a color creative, I wear a lot of hats similar to what you're saying, you know, it's inherently creative, but I'm looking at physical production, I'm mounting projects, it's, it's all of the things, it's not just one type of producing. Um, but it, it has been compartmentalized. And I think it's because so many of the production companies in the U.S., I'm speaking specifically because that's the market I know that exist are inherently only creative producers. And then they hire someone else, third party company to go and actually make those projects for for whatever reason. That's been the model that's been established. And as someone who came up on the physical side, I think it's a disservice to their knowledge as producers to not fully grasp the the full execution <laughs> from script to, to screen. Um and there's a, a gap in their knowledge as much as you can understand production. There's always things that, you know, kind of, I think does impact the creative process for them. So I find that to be really interesting because like I said, I earned my stripes on set with crew in the trenches, the front lines, you know, forever. And now I get to be in a more creative role in house and in this more interesting position, but I have this decade plus of experience to speak to yes. and others don't necessarily. So it's, it's interesting to navigate that, especially from a producerial lens where you're sharing credits with people that have a gap in their knowledge and you have to be political about it all <laughs> to, very, to say it uh, very I, nicely. I speak, ooh, but I won't. I mean, so it sounds like you agree and this is I not do. exclusive to America is no, what I'm no, hearing. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, this idea that producers have all the money, make all the money, have all the power. It's it's um not true, you know, and I think that's what people who crave that are seeking. But it's a perception. It's not actually reality. And, you know, like I, I welcome anyone who wants to produce but actually wants to do the work to get the title they deserve but otherwise it's um it's upsetting and i think we need to reclaim it and change it somehow so yeah. and i think it's a collective global conversation with producers across like how do we reclaim this for ourselves you know and also it's really interesting that 
when you go and get and try to find the the financing for the films you are pitching alone um, mostly you mm -hmm. are not mm -hmm. with the director there with you correct yeah so you need to like really understand his vision your or vision, her vision yeah yeah um have the passion to pitch the project you're a salesperson you're yeah. a brand ambassador you're you're yeah. all the things like you are the only like you said you're the only person in the room and you have those relationships and lives or dies by that conversation yeah. oftentimes of course the creative the director the team absolutely you you have nothing to sell without that but collaboration it's a team effort um i think that's been forgotten somehow that the the filmmaking process is an ecosystem and we need everyone to show up yeah but know your place in the ecosystem too you know <laughs> It's my two cents. Um, but okay, so I want to shift gears for a little bit because one of the things I love to talk about on the show are the challenges, right? The personal challenges, um, the ups and downs of the industry. And my ups and downs, which I've spoken about uh, way too much on this podcast over four years, so people have heard me yap on and on about it. But as an independent producer, it's a lot of ups and downs. And for a long time, a lot of my self-worth as a woman, as a professional was tied up in the work I was or was not doing. And it took a long time to get over that. But, you know, because I love the work so much when I wasn't working, I would go into like these really existential places of being right. Oh my God, am I throwing my life away? Did I make the right choices? All of that. And then the next job would come and I'd be like, ah, I love it. But it was this interesting cycle. And, um, in those challenges, you know, when things don't go well or you lose the financing or someone screws you over, which happens all the time, you know, how people find the strength to keep showing up, to keep pushing the boulder uphill. So I'd love to hear from you about any experiences you've had, stories that you may want to share without naming names, of course, of, of just challenges that you've faced and how you get over them, how you still show up ready to like keep going and do all the work we were just talking about and maybe not even get the credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's, I think this work, um, you get so many no's, mm -hmm. so many, but when you get the yes, it erases everything. <laughs> yeah. So I think it goes, that's something. And also um, today I had the premiere of Sorcery. Yes, congratulations. Yes, thank you. And I saw the, today the film in a big screen. It was my first time today. Mm -hmm. And I had forgotten how difficult it was to to make to make that film uh, we were in the middle of the pandemic wow. borders were closed it was a co-production between mexico germany and chile so we needed crew and cast uh, flying from mexico and germany to chile wow. um, it was i think uh, i didn't sleep for sleep well like for three weeks in a row because of this permission for the borders to open um, but really I had forgotten about that until today that I saw the film and I remember and everything came back to me Wow! Um, and also it's super interesting the way that we finance this film mm. it took us a lot of time um, it's a dif difficult story, very difficult. Um, 
and we have national funds, we have co-productions, we have uh, private investors, we have streamers. Uh, we got we put everything, all of it, all of it, all of it in oh the my. in the in the scheme. Yeah. Um, so, but you couldn't believe all the no's that I heard yeah. before getting it done. Um, but when you see the film and you you finally love the result, I forget everything. You yeah, know? I remember it, but yeah, we uh, a lot of the women I've had on the show who have had children say it's akin to like having a baby. You know, and production is uh, is is the process of being pregnant and then labor. And then you forget, you know, and you see the baby and it's like two years old and it's so cute. And you're like, oh, my God, we should have another one. And then you forget, you know, the challenges to, obviously to get there. But, yeah, a lot of women say that it's it's that feeling. And I, I agree, you know, but but I guess in, in the face of all those challenges, like how, you know, a professional, yes, but even on your on your personal life, how does that impact you when you're not sleeping? If you have a partner, like how does that impact your life and how are you able to just, I don't know, compartmentalize, separate if you are at all, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's very difficult. Uh, I think I have the, I'm a lucky person. I guess. You keep saying that, yes. but I don't know. I don't know if I believe in luck. Um, I, well, I do. I don't know. You do? Yes. I think that someone is taking care of me somewhere. You don't I think don't. that there's certain decisions that you're making that are positioning you in the right place and time yes. for luck oh, to appear? Yes, yes. Uh, but I have a, a family that understands what I do. I have yeah. my husband that understands what I do. I travel a lot. So every time I go away, he says, best of luck, uh, go and shine. Mm. And that's it. It's not like, when are you coming back? So I have like the space mm -hmm. and the support um, to get the work done. And sometimes it's a lot. Um, I have to work in weekends. Today it's a Sunday. I'm not at home. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's a balance, you know? Yeah. How do, how do you find that balance? How do you create boundaries if, if the work can be all-consuming and we love it? That's why we do it, right? How do you go about creating that balance and that boundary for yourself? Um, I don't know, really. Yeah. I have never asked that question. Yeah. I think it's... Um, I try to take vacation sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I try. <laughs> you try. Yes. Yeah. Um, sometimes when I have to travel, I try to uh, be. Uh, I travel with my husband. Yeah. Go to shootings with him. He's in the industry as well, so yeah. We have. Is he a cinematographer? No, yeah. he's a casting director. Oh, okay. Yes, and an actor also. So he gets it. Yeah, yes. on a fundamental level. Yes. Well, I, I ask because you know, as producers, we take care of everything. We take care of a lot of people. All the time. We are like psychologists. Yes, we are psychologists. We're, mothers. you know, mothers. We're captains. We're cheerleaders. We're so many things. And oftentimes no one's asking the producers how they're doing or no, what no, they no. need. And it's a lot of energy coming at you all the time and creating that space to like release that. Some people it's yoga. Some people it's drinking. Whatever it is that helps them you know, I think it's important. I always ask that question as more of a reminder to my fellow producers on how they are creating space for themselves for self-care, whatever that means to you, um, to refill your well, you know? So when you have felt depleted, 
by the business, by the journey, what do you look to, to refill your well? So you can show up your best self, right? And be there for everybody else. Well, now that you put it that way, um, I'm very clear with um, directors and scriptwriters and actors uh, that I'm not a psychologist. I say it all the time, explicitly, when they start with any problem. Um, I love you and I respect your work, but mm -hmm. I'm I'm not going to get into that. Yeah, and I say it straight. Uh, I I I'm very direct in mm -hmm. that sense. Mm -hmm. um, For example, if we are at a festival, I'm not taking care of my director's agenda. That's not me. Mm -hmm. And they know it. Yeah. So sometimes they ask, Rocio, what's next? I don't have I, I, no idea. You have your agenda. Yeah. Take a look at it. <laughs> It's like, what would you do if I wasn't around? Like, pretend I wasn't here. How yeah. would you get to the airport, you know? <laughs> And they know it. Yeah. So it's easy for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes when I am overwhelmed, I talk to them. I'm really overwhelmed. Can we please get to a point that yeah. you you do this by yourself and let me do my job? Yeah. And how do they respond to that? Generally. Sometimes good and sometimes not that good. Uh, <laughs> but... I've been working with the same directors for quite a long time that we know each yeah, other very hand. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are friends. Yeah. They yeah. are, I consider them my friends. So it's a different yeah. re relationship. But if you were working with a brand new director to you, do you think you'd have that same transparency with them as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you have, you have set boundaries for yourself then in the way that you, you create the stage of, what role you're going to play in this dynamic. So yes. people know off the bat. And I think that's, di did you have to learn that mistake the hard way? Or did you already have that innately from the beginning of your career? No, I think I've, I've learned. Yeah. I've learned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, at first, um, it was different because I was in a different position. Mm. Um, no, it's been, it's yeah. been a right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to note that, that it, like you were saying earlier, it's only with the mistakes doing too much that you can course correct <laughs> the correction of yes. like, Oh, that was, I gave too much here. I need to actually reel it back in so I can keep my sanity and my focus on what I'm here to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. I, I don't think that the, in the U S like, I think if you, if you have friendships with people, it's a lot easier to have that level of transparency, but sometimes there's just like, Oh, the director and oh, the, like we have to like coddle them almost, you know, and I, I don't agree Sorry. with that perspective, but there is that energy in a lot of the relationships All I the see time. in the U.S. And I actually think we are doing a disservice by creating that expectation, especially when they're young, earlier, early in their career, not young in age, just in their journey. You create that expectation that everyone's going to be like that, and that's not correct. <laughs> They're going to be in for a rude awakening. So I think it's it's a really great um, tip. I think that you're sharing. I think for the listeners um, who are navigating earlier parts of their careers to set those boundaries, because we talk a lot about that and what does that even mean. But I think you you have a really excellent um, point of view and 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 your how you're going to work and how you're going to show up and who you're going to be your fellow directors yeah so i mean you're, you're still very much at the beginning of your career though 
Um, I'm curious if, if you could distill some of the things you've learned so far about your life from working in this industry, some lessons that you kind of have taken. Um, is there anything that comes up? Mm, difficult question. I like, I like hard questions. Um, <laughs> no, I would say that uh, sometimes this job can be, um, I would say in Spanish, un poco ingrato. Sí. I don't know how to say it in English. Um, it would be, um, it's, it lacks gratitude for yes. the people. Yeah, it's... And it a lot of layers, you know. First, because we are doing films, and that's it. And we put all the energy, and you think that this, if something is wrong, it's death, or, or it's a big, big problem, but at the end of the day, it's only film. Yeah. So I think sometimes you need to back up and understand where we are, what we're doing, um, and try to take it a little, with a little more, um, a, another perspective. Yeah, levity. Yeah. Yes. Thankless um, is what we say in English. It's a thankless job. Yes. Yes. Um, so sometimes the, they call you in the middle of set, The actress says says she's mad and she will stop the shooting. And you think everything is going to to crap and this is not going to work and you want to die and you want to kill the actress. <laughs> Pero no pasa nada. <laughs> It, yeah. It's not the end of the world. You can yeah. stop production for that day and continue the next one and that's it. Right, right. So that from from one part of the ingratitude side yes and the other is that we put all the energy there um, and we forget of the important things that finally for me is family um, and we are so passionate about our jobs that we forget uh, that at the end of the day you arrive to your family yeah So you need to find that balance. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, I don't know, the impression I have of other markets, especially when I visit Europe and stuff, there is a lot more of that balance built into the culture. Yes. Whereas here, that is not the case, which is why I talk about boundaries because this industry will suck you dry of yeah. everything you have and spit you out if you don't set those boundaries for yourself. And when you start, I think it's tempting when you're 20 and you go hard. And I think it's important to have that season of your career where you maybe work for no money for a while. You say yes to everything. You're first in, last out. But that is not sustainable. And eventually priorities do shift. And I think if you blink and 20 years have passed and your only identity is this business, like I, I have not really met anyone who is truly satisfied if that is their reality. Um, so I can't say there isn't people out there. Maybe there are, but generally speaking, it's the people that are able to eventually it's like you wake up and you go, Holy shit. Like if I don't, if I don't tell people, no, I'm not going to respond to your email after 10 PM. It's not life or death. It yeah. can wait till tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Because there's this perception of like, well, I got to be on top of it because if I'm not, then what are they? It's like this constant anxiety cycle. Yeah. And you start that way when you're young in your career. And then when you rise the ranks, you continue it. So you train people coming up under you. So it's constant. It never ends. Um, and so if you don't really put those boundaries for yourself at some point, 
people will keep taking from you, yeah, whether yeah. it's financially, you know, asking for your worth, if you're getting underpaid, it actually working for money at some point, the kinds of projects, obviously respect and how you're treated. Absolutely. Um, but a lot of people I know here historically are afraid to set those boundaries because it can be perceived as like, you're not invested in what you're doing. Yeah. And I think one of the gifts of the pandemic is that a lot of people woke up to that when they went, wait a minute, like we're not, current cancer we, th there's a way to do this that we can still have a life yes. and when people have a life they show up to work better more excited and i always say if you're doing things from a place of fear what is the result like or what is the journey to that process right like if you're coming in from a place of love you're rested you're all of the things that on a human level impact how you show up to work regardless of what happens with the project, like the journey there is going to be so much better. And if your life is this business, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want every set you step onto? Yes. Be challenging, of course, but like we're in this together, right? We're going to, we're going to yeah. suit up and we're going to get there together. I agree so much on what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. It's been, uh, I remember that my first years, I, I, I didn't stop. I responded emails. They came in and I responded oh, in within, one second. Yeah, within one second. Yes. But then I understood that, um, It wasn't necessary, and sometimes you needed the time to get a better answer if you answered <laughs> yeah. five hours later, yes. you know? Or, uh, Faster is not better. No, yes. it's not. I had to learn that the hard way myself. I'm, I'm a let's go, let's go person, and, and even now that I'm an executive, I have to be like, why am I rushing this? We're not in production. Nothing's on fire. No one's expecting this answer right away. But that impulse is so ingrained in me yeah. that if I don't do it at that tempo, I feel like I'm lazy. I'm not doing my job. Yeah. It happens the same to me, yeah. but I like, I breathe. Yeah. I concentrate myself and I say, Rocio, please. Por favor. Por favor, te Por pido. Favor, te pido. What, I've, what I've been trying to do is my friend had this um, meditation she did where she's like, sit on your hands for five minutes, just five minutes, but sit on your actual hands and just process and then respond. You know, yeah. um, I, I don't succeed always with that, but I try. And that's the point. <laughs> We just try to do better every time and learn from our mistakes. But yeah, I think those boundaries. And also one thing that's really interesting that I learned just on that quick email thing is if you respond, you're signaling, signaling to that person too, that like, oh shit, they have to also respond. And one thing I told, I had a, a producer that hired me a lot and he would send these emails late at night. And I was like, you realize that by just sending the email late at night, you're already making the other person feel anxious yeah. and your email could have waited till the morning. So just schedule it for eight in the morning. Yeah. I understand if you want to send it at 10 PM, because that's your brain, just schedule it for the next morning. And he was like, I, I never looked at it that way. Thank you so much. I'm going to start doing that because it isn't important. It's important for me in that moment to get it out of my brain, but they didn't forget, you know? And so I think reminding people of that too, holding them accountable both mm. ways is important. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah. We so, have to do it both ways. We have to do it both ways. Because yeah. if you're also the person emailing at 10 o'clock, then been that person asking sometimes. for something. And, and sometimes you it is needed. It depends. Again, I'm not saying never send emails. Don't check your email after what hours. It depends on what is going on and the responsibility that you have in that moment, that week, whatever. But like you said, like we said, generally speaking, unless you're in active production, most things can wait yeah. a little bit. So just I think it's a metaphor for just taking that time to breathe How does one do that in production? I don't know. I haven't figured that out because it moves so fast. But I think it, there's a way and I want to crack it, you know? There is. 
There is. There is a way, yeah. Um, and I hope to lead by example in that as I continue to, you know, lead sets and, and help filmmakers um, transition. So, yeah. Um, so we are coming up on time. It goes by so quickly. Is there anything else that you want to make sure we talk about before I move to our lightning round? No. No? This has been lovely. Okay. Well, yeah, it's been so lovely to have you. Um, just in this, these conversations are not, you know, your whole career, let us deep dive, though I would love to do that one day, but it's meant to be a time capsule of you here today at Sundance. You know, this exciting moment, the magic that is here for as crazy as Sundance can be. It is a magical place still, and so much has come from this land, this, this indigenous land that we're sitting upon. Um, so before we go, I want to go into my little lightning round. So these are five fun questions I do just to wrap oh, us up. Okay. Okay, so here we are, the lightning round. First question, what's a song that teleports you to a happy place? Um, I would say Sorry from Justin Bieber. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> okay, what is the latest piece of art that moved you? A book, a film, a show, anything? I saw clothes uh, from this director that I love. Yeah. Um, his name is, his last name is Dant, Lucas Dant. Lucas Dant, close. Okay. Yes. When did that come out recently? Yes. Okay. Um, I think it was at Cannes. Okay. I think, I saw it in Morelia. Okay, I'll have to check it out. Okay. So fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. A beer. Beer? Yes. Oh, okay. What kind of beer? Any special beer? No, I love beer. You what, love beer? Yes. Okay, I love, I love. Usually producers say wine to this question. No, so you're a beer like lady. Wine. Oh my God. Okay, I love. Okay. okay. What I like most is Michelada more than beer. Ah, but Micheladas are like, it's a separate yes. category of beverage. Yeah. It's delicious. Um, okay. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you have ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. Um, I would say buying my Kindle. Your Kindle? Yes. Yeah. Why? Because I've been reading so much. Mm. Um, I didn't have the time. And with the Kindle, it's so, f it's so easy. Yeah. I get to read anything I want, any place. Um, and if I'm tired of one book, I can start another one. And just, yeah. You, you can imagine all the all the new authors that I have discovered with my Kindle. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Kindle should sponsor the podcast. Yes. Got it. Great. We'll be making that happen. And it's this. So it's small. Yeah. It's small. I put it in my in banano. I don't know how to say it Your in English. Your fanny, fanny pack. Yes. Yeah. In English. Yeah, I've been wanting to get one because reading on your phone is so hard. No, it's impossible. It's impossible, yeah. Okay. So this is the last question. And there's a show in the United States called Inside the Actor's Studio. I don't know if you're familiar with yes. it. So this question um, is borrowing from that show because I love that show growing up. And it is uh, the question which is inspired by the famed French journalist Bernard Pivot. And this question is a question that is asked at the end of the show. And the question is, if God exists... What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? When, when I arrive where? At the pearly gates. Ah, to heaven. To you heaven, say. you see. That I will find all my loved ones that are already left before than me. That they are waiting there for me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. This is so fun. I'm so grateful that you took the time 
out of your Sundance schedule to be here with me. Thank you. 